Welcome back to the Real Ballers Read podcast. We're very excited for this episode. We have a true legend in the bookstagram world, Cree Miles. Uh, Cree Miles is a book influencer and inaugural editor and curator of the Penguin Random House Initiative, Always Black. She has collaborated with Center for Fiction, Bellatrist, Out of Print, and Book Sparks, just to name a few. She has also been in conversation with Tanahisi Coates, Kieze Lehman, Jasmine Manns, Eve Ewing, Phoebe Robinson, and Glory Edom. She mostly hangs out on Instagram at Cree Miles or at Always Black. Cree, welcome to the show. How are you doing? I am so excited to be here. This is literally how I'm starting my day. Um, and I'm geeked. I'm thank you for having me. That there you go. We're I geeked hate too. intros. Ugh. That it's so indulgent. That's you. That's what you be doing. And that's so gross. I really, you know, Jason Reynolds says, I really don't like to talk about myself. Um, so I, I write things. Like, that's what he says when people <laughs> ask, like, ask him to do his intro. And he's done way more than me. So maybe I should adopt that. Um, maybe I should adopt that bio. All right. Well, if you were to introduce yourself right now, what would you say? Uh, my name is Cree Miles. I'm a left-handed Libra. My favorite animal is a whale. Um, I was, yesterday was Earth Day and I was really melancholy because I was thinking about like the fact that Sheen is still mass producing cheap clothing today. Um, and I was binge watching Selling Sunset last night. So that's how I would introduce myself today. That's who I really am. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. I'm glad we got that down like up front though. That was the best intro possible. <laughs> what kind of whales? Oh, oh, blue. It's blue? great. It's the largest yeah, animal that's ever been on the planet and it's yeah. with us right now. Yeah. I don't understand why more people aren't excited about that. That's we don't even crazy. know how they operate. We don't even know how they they're as big as two <laughs> football fields and you're alive. We lose them in the ocean all the time. We, we lose them. Oh my God. <laughs> I'm obsessed with them. So I'm obsessed with them. Yes. I'm going, I'm trying to go whale watching again in September because I didn't get to see one last year and I'm determined. It's on my bucket list before like Jeff Bezos um, sets the whole world on fire, you know? <laughs> when, when was the last time you saw a, a whale? I've never seen one. I oh. went whale watching. Oh. First, let me tell you, <laughs> went whale watching Ethan and I go, we're super geeked because like that's the homie in like animal crime, not crimes against animals, like celebration. Um, and so we're going well watching and we get on the boat and we have on like these cute outfits because we're from Wisconsin and we're in San Diego. And then as the boat starts speeding out, we both look at each other like, oh, we're cold as fuck. And then it's a three hour tour. So we're just sitting next to each other, like shivering while all the other people have on like their... Um, Patagonias and they're just sitting there like <laughs> looking at the thing and I'm like why, why didn't anybody tell us like you guys should have put this on the website like dress like this so we said we have to do it again and dress appropriately we went to California last time we're trying to go to Maine this fall oh okay I think I have a higher chance of seeing if I didn't see a blue whale I would be satisfied with a humpback I do not want to see a killer whale because that's just like a giant dolphin to me. Like yeah. they have the same skin. Like I need like, I need texture. 
you know? So I don't know. Oh, true. That yeah. rough barnacled skin. I need some barnacles. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. I need some barnacles. <laughs> oh my God. But yes, I loved him so much. Uh, and, and I was going to ask, Shane is the like Sheehan, right? That, um, yes. Close. Um, I never knew it was pronounced Shane. I thought it was pronounced Shane. That, I said Shane. Yeah. It's Shane. Shane, I don't know. Shane. In what language would that be grammatically <laughs> correct? S-H-E-I-N, what? Maybe. You know, I've, I've, I've started to hear that I might have an accent too, a Midwestern accent. I didn't even know that was a thing. And I, I don't know. If we're all three of us are from the Midwest, none of us have accents, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Well, thank you for coming on on the show, Cree. And uh, the first question we always ask guests is just like, what was the book that you chose to talk about? And like, what is the story of you finding it? Why did you find it so compelling? Yeah, so I originally got pitched this book for a project that I'm working on that I can't talk about until next month so I got pitched this I got pitched the book oh, and I right. found out about it <laughs> so I found out about it I got super excited and I instantly put it on my TBR um and then and I didn't even look at who the publisher was yet I just knew I was excited and then once I realized it was Penguin I was like oh this perfectly aligns with my work like I can read this and it won't take away from time um and then I have currently like decided that we need to abolish the author blurb because they be lying like they are lying to our faces and I know that they, I they know they know that they're lying because they write really well because they always get the best writers the best best writers to be like oh this book is magnificent and I'm like you know it's not like just say like it was all right. It was a good first try, but don't like use these like hyperbolic words when you know it wasn't that good. And so um, Jason said Glory was wonderful on his social media. And so I was like, ah, so you really liked it because if you blurb it, I don't believe you, but if you're going out of your way just to talk about it on your Twitter, yeah, then okay. Sure. So that made me pick it up. And um, I had no, I usually pick up a book with zero, like very minimal context. So I knew that there isn't, I knew it was animals. I knew it was a coup, but as I'm reading, I was like, yo, I, is this, is this Robert Mugabe? Like, am I reading about him right now? And then once I realized it was about Zimbabwe, I got um, super excited just because one of my majors in college, I kind of focused on um, that part of the world. So I, I spent a lot of time reading about Zimbabwe in undergrad. And I was, after that, I was sold. And I am no Violet's biggest fan and need to read. I also love that she like wrote her books like 10 years apart because our obsession with like presentism and output is so, it's necessary because of like how crushing capitalism is. But also I just like that she's moving at her own pace. And like, if I, I'm gonna make a masterpiece, I'm not gonna make it in 30 seconds. So I really liked that. I haven't read her first book and now I have to because I love Glory so much. Yeah, so like, what is it about the uh, political side satire of this story or like them being animals that, that you, you find like either funny or like, important 
I mean, I love Orwell. Like mm-hmm. I'm not, I'm not gonna hype up a white man unnecessarily, you know, but I love me some Orwell. Like he, he did, I feel like he did what he was supposed to do. So I love that she just followed in that vein. And I would not have, re- like if someone was like, here is a book about the 2017 Zimbabwe and cool nonfiction. I would have never, ever, ever in a million years picked it up. Cause I just, that isn't interesting to me. And that. That type of storytelling doesn't draw me in, but um, if you're gonna like kind of make it a fairy tale, um, you got me, no matter what it's about. So um, I just thought, I thought it was brilliant and her choice of animals. And I never, I talked to No Violet about the book, but I didn't ask her this. I'm always curious about the choice of animals because she could have chose, like the horses could have been lions, right? Or they could have been, she didn't choose any jungle animals. She chose farm, she chose farm animals, which was, I mean, big Orwell energy, I guess. Maybe that's, she was just trying to stay in the same vein as like, he also did pigs and sheep and horses. So maybe that's what she was going for. Yeah, I was actually thinking about that too. Just uh, how like, I was kind of expecting like some gorillas to be a part of it right? or like some lions, giraffes right elephants even because we're Um, literally in zimbabwe so like so yeah but no she chose farm animals that was super interesting i wonder if it has to do at all with like uh farm animals not really having many prey and predator relationships amongst them Mm, maybe because like horses don't eat pigs right you know i think dogs dogs (laughs) might eat sheep like wolves um and right that that is why it makes sense that that the dogs are the defenders but aside from that i don't think there are many you know what i'm saying yeah it would get you're right it would get really hairy if like the father of the nation was a lion and then (laughs) like the the common folks were like zebras then it's just like okay maybe she wanted to make us work a little harder Where was was there any like insight that you learned or gleaned from the real Zimbabwe story by reading Glory? Like, oh, I had no idea about the massacre, like at all. I did, I did not know that that happened. Um, And I think, in the way that Western society does when I learned about Zimbabwe, I just used air quotes. It was just this like dehumanizing statistical experience. I'm like, this is the average lifespan and this is the GDT per capita and blah, 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 blah. And um, even though they were animals, it really like, cause like, as I was reading, I was like looking up stuff. And so then I, you know, you realize I'm like looking at pictures of people who are living there right now. Like that was 2017. Mm-hmm. Um, and no, Violet lived there, like um, grew up there. So it's just um, <sighs> their whole entire people who are like existing under this oppressive regime. And it's a whole dysfunctional society because of the oppressive regime like so then I go and look at like what it like when I think about like the worst part of a society or the least I shouldn't say the worst part like the the least cared for then I always go like what does a jail look like 
And so then when I'm looking up jails in Zimbabwe, I'm like, this is terrible. Like, this is so terrible. Um, and it's, I mean, it's just because of greed. So that's, um, I cannot remember the name of the massacre. Gukuru Thundi massacres of Zimbabwe. Yes, Gukuru Thundi. I mean, and I could read it easier because we were talking about goats, but then I went and read um, a little bit about it, but then there's not that much written about it because the government has controlled the narrative, which, right. God. And, and then I had to sit and think like the way that it happened, like if I would have, if my family would have been there, that means my sister would have seen that at five and she's like 40. And so there are people walking around Zimbabwe right now who still have missing peoples and people who were um, political um, murders and no, no one's still talking about it. No one's talking about it still. That's evil. Right. And so you were mentioning how so much of like the way that you interacted with Zimbabwe is through statistics. How does Glory like show more of the personal sides of things and like give you like a real on the ground and like, uh, like I guess characterization of the different animals that is very like, you know, like, you know, affirming their humanity too. Yeah. So I would, I was constantly like when we were introduced to a new character, I would look them up to see if they were like based off of a human. So like after I was reading a little bit, um, like the goat who comes back, their father, I was like, was this a real person? Like, was this freedom fighter really real? And I never got to the bottom of it, but then I just kind of rested in the fact that even if they weren't, it represents so many people who were, who like fought for Zimbabwe's freedom and then got villainized because they didn't align with the direction that the country was going in. Um, and that, and then the beautiful narrative around like just what racism has done to us so that when our own people are oppressing us, we are still like, well, it's better than white people oppressing us. Like that conversation that she was having, we literally do that. And it's like, is it better? Like it, oppression, like oppression is just kind of trash regardless. So um, that I really felt hopeless for a long time reading the story. Like, damn, what is Zimbabwe finna do? Like I really... I had retroactive grief for the uh, massacre and for the coup because I'm late as hell. This is 2017. Um, but the way that she ended it was vindicating and she really is hopeful that something can change. And I, I like that because someone who has experienced it to be hopeful is matters way more than me like learning about it late and being like, we have to do something um, and not having any idea like what that could possibly be. So um it humanized absolutely every ass like everything and the the other country and the country country i started following hella folks in zimbabwe including their bitch ass president and um i had to like start there and then like you know find where the real ones are so i'm still kind of looking and don't know if i'm even going to be able to keep up because you know um cultural norms but i'm gonna try no one of my favorite lines that No Violet wrote in Glory was when the old was when the old horse was you know finding out that they're about to overthrow him and it's kind of a funny scene because he's like is this a coup and they're like no it, 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 but like there's this one <laughs> line 
where you know Violet writes that like he preferred being angry in English. Yeah. And I thought that was so precise given what you were just saying about oppression. Yeah. And especially in Africa, it's like just very tragic how like the European oppression kind of made a lot of those African powers think and act in very similar ways. And, you know, we're being controlled by, you even see the old, the old horse talking like, oh, I love like the queen of England. Yeah. Love, love her validation, all that. That was a really good through line through the uh, book that I, that I thought worked really, really well. Who was your favorite character? Like what character spoke to you most? Well, a moment that meant a lot to me, mm. and this could, I might be drawn to this book just because of, like if I wasn't so busy parenting, I would totally be one of these like animal rights hoes. Cause like, <laughs> it's super important to me, but it's like, not more important than like black boys not going to prison so i just have to be like i have two black boys they have to be like gotta get them right but once they're out of the house i'm back on the picket line for the pit bulls and so my favorite one of my favorite scenes was at the end when one of the first defend the first defender to like renounce defending was a pit bull and i wanted to be like did she do that on purpose like is she trying to have a moment with pit bulls or is she just like pit bulls are the worst ones so I will make it like I will give them a redemptive quality I didn't ask because I didn't want my feelings to be hurt but um I really appreciated that moment I appreciated the the hint like the the bird who um fought in the revolution and like all like was like a one shot you know what I'm talking about who like could shoot anybody in one shot um and when I was like in a clear enough headspace, the insight that we got to the regime was just hilarious. Like, I know that their decisions like made a lot of people's lives absolutely terrible and they're evil. Like, I understand that like Robert Mugabe was evil, but it's the also absolutely comical because of how ridiculous it was. Um, so I really enjoyed, the, and that's law, dog, following their president right now on Twitter, it feels like I'm listening to an SNL skit, like, mo like when he talks, and then when people write underneath, like, well, what about so and so who you disappeared, and then the president will respond, like, we're not talking about that right now. And I'm like, dog, you are wild, like this y'all are wild. Uh -huh. So um, I really enjoyed the insights into um, the political characters, and I liked the brave, nameless Pitbull defender. I loved him. Yeah, no, there's a really, um, I, I love this point around satire and uh, I guess almost reflecting, even in whether it's Zimbabwe or even the US, just how there's so much more overlap between politics and comedy, where like you go to the, you go to the political presidential debate just for the entertainment and then you yes. go to the comedian for like the actual truth. <laughs> like, yes, yes. You, know? you go to Comedy Central yeah. to get your, your yeah, your news. Right. And then of course, no violets, like, you know, like just like playing both sides and everything. I loved it. Yeah. What, what aspect of American culture now, aside from politics, do you think needs sat satire most? Yeah. Look, I'm reading Civil Rights Queen right now. 
and yes the <laughs> the integration of our of all of our institutions was fucking satire like I can't even and like reading it now I can laugh but I just can't imagine being in that courtroom just like seething with anger but it always takes me back to this Kathy Park Hong quote and she just is like whenever you have to convince white people of racism you have to use like every faculty in your body and even then you're still up against all of modern history all of modern culture and society because like everything that they have created reaffirms their racism and so really all that they were doing during the civil rights movement was like trying to convince white people that we were fucking human and like that black kids actually were allowed to have good educational materials because they were real kids and that is wild to me that like we had to take the time out of our lives to convince the white people that they should treat us like humans and that we still haven't gotten any like reparation for that like enslaved folks aside everything that we've had to do with our time and labor to convince them that we deserve something we need money back because time is money so like all that time that they had to spend being like, no, you really should just, and it would be better for everyone. Um, I can't even, I, ha I haven't even gotten to the part yet um, as I've talked about Civil Rights Queen where there was um, a person who worked for the University of Mississippi who was up there testifying and saying the N-word with a hard E-R under oath. And Constance was like, He's literally using a racial slur. Like she's saying that she tells that to the judge and the judge and the man was like, oh no, I'm just from Mississippi. That's how I say it. I'm not, I'm not trying to be offensive. And I was like, this is a joke. Like I can't even understand how this is real. How is this real? So um, that's wild to me. Our military budget is a joke to me. Um, how much money we were able to give to Ukraine is a joke to me. Um, and I... I'm just constantly, how much houses cost or trying to buy a house is a joke <laughs> to me. I don't even understand. Like it's all, I feel like I'm living, I am living in a, a political satire. That's how I feel. Honestly, Biden yeah. being president is a joke to me. Okay. <laughs> the fact that that was the option and we had to be excited about it. Feels like an abusive joke. Like that's wild, especially after I did some deep dives on um, the the trials of Anita against Clarence Thomas, or like the testimonies. Oh, yeah. I was like, and this is the nigga that's president, bro. I am. Yeah. What? This is so <laughs> embarrassing. I can't even. Oh my god. It's actually so crazy because like Biden was never the best candidate ever. In all of the like primaries, everything like there were like twenty candidates. He was never the best one, and and yet for that whole year, everyone saw it coming. Like, oh, we're gonna, you know, Biden's probably gonna be it. You know, it's too <laughs> too big of, of a field. We had all that time to organize. Yep. Didn't, didn't matter. Like it, it did. He he won. No matter. I remember somebody in my, I used to work with them in fundraising, and I remember they dropped an article from a very reputable source. Like, I want to say it was like the Times or something, who was like, the United States doesn't need revolution. It needs, like, 
coddling. That's what Biden will do. And I was like, what the fuck? What are we doing? No, we need a revolution every time. I just, I still feel bad for Elizabeth Warren um, just because she never even got a chance. And I don't, look, uh, that's, I cut my hair off because I was organizing at that time. And I was like, ah, and I just went to the barber and was like, shave it off. Like, I don't have time to do anything. And I deeply, still deeply regret that. So nobody impulsively cut your hair off if you are political organizing, but also just don't political organize. (laughs) Wait, that was during 2020? Yeah, I was, my degrees in organizing. And so like I was organizing through the election and it was just, um, besides the dysfunction of the organization I worked in, um, organizing is just the pits. So it was yeah. all of that together. And then just having to be so up to date with what was happening. Cause that's, I know what that does to me emotionally. So I never do that. I usually dip in and out, mm-hmm. um, but I had to like be in it, in it, in it. And it was just, it just wore me down. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, I rage shaved my head. Mm-hmm. I mean, curious question. Cause I'm someone who's just entered the workforce really in the last year, just graduated college. Is there any organization or company that's really functional i feel like governments companies schools wherever you work like from the surface it looks fun or like the yeah. optics look cool but then you get in it and you're like this shit's crazy like i'm i'm a teacher yeah. and oh. i would have never imagined like the amount of stress that teachers go through to just do their jobs and like the administrative stuff everything is is just so crazy so has has there ever been a place where you've organized for or worked for that was not dysfunctional well one can i ask you what grade are you teaching middle school yeah uh-huh. wow why are you doing that <laughs> paying my middle dues paying my dues oh my god um no there isn't um i can't right out of college i um worked in an advancement office doing fundraising Mm. and that was soul sucking for me just because like you know cubicles and like practical shoes etc etc so that sucked then after that I went and substitute taught I substitute taught in Milwaukee public schools for four years um which I honestly can say is way more life affirming than working with like um middle-aged white women Mm. um but it's still, I mean, it's exhausting. It's exhausting. Like it's, it was, whew. and subbing is obviously a whole different, way better beast than teaching really? because I don't have to lesson plan. And then they, they got me like once, like, can you do a long-term assignment? And I did. And every day I went in there, I was like, oh, I'm never doing this again, ever, never, <laughs> never. So um, that's literally why I work for myself. It was like a, it was a, a large, like, um, like it took all of my emotional faculties to like manifest. I cannot work under anything. I can't, and I have to make enough money to support, like support my, I was a single mom at the time. So like to support Ethan. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just kind of, I, you, this is super crazy. And it's always wild when I tell people this, because I'm not a basketball head by any means, but like when Kobe died, I was like, like shook. Because it's like, you know, he's like a cultural giant. And so all of those quotes are coming out about him as a human. And um, 
like the the two things that stuck with me that have literally like informed my career are one he said that he had nothing in common with lazy people and two that not only was he one of the highest shooters in the league but he also held the record for the most missed shots and so I was like that means he was always shooting. Like he was never not shooting. And I was, so I just had to like look myself in the mirror right. and I was like, if you go hard for a year and you always, you just do the thing. So like even ta it was like me diving into his DMs, like with, like with no context, like, Hey, love your work, love everything you do. Wondering if you would such a, and he just saw it like eight months later. Like that was, so you just, you wow. just, shoot, you just shoot the shot to death. Um, and that has completely changed my life. So I am like against the workforce, like don't do like if you can stay out of it, try and stay out of it and um, um, work for yourself. That's that's my goal for everybody. Just work for yourself. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah, let's go. That's definitely our goal, too. <laughs> you can do it. It's totally doable. So tell us a little bit more about the story of you like coming into Bookstagram, though. Like what has that been been like over these years? Well, so when I was doing my long-term sub-assignment, I, um, and I, I can say being around children, especially little black and brown children, is not nearly as demoralizing as other jobs. So I, I came home tired because of all of the stuff they were putting on me, but I wasn't like emotionally like helpless. Like I would come home like, there's hope, children are so yeah. sweet, et cetera. But I still know I wanted to do more. So I started a blog actually called It's My Vagina. So I called it this vagina and I was like writing book reviews on there. And I was realizing that like nobody was reading them except my boyfriend, like my now he's my husband, but he's my boyfriend at the time. I was like, hey, Brian's the only one reading these. Um, and that's not gonna make anybody else pick up books. So then I read The Bluest Eye and was just like so enamored. I was like, I need to give this what it deserves because I really need people to pick up this book if they haven't picked up this book. So then I went, I just filmed myself and put it up on the internet like that. And um, I came into Bookstagram at a really good time because it was just like white woman AF and they were all like cable knit sweaters and like coffee mugs and like rainy day aesthetic. And I was like, this is the perfect spot for me to blow up. So I just like came in, I made, like when I reviewed The Water Dancer, I, um, and that was another serendipitous timing because Ta-Nehisi had just came on to Instagram. We didn't even know if it was him. He wasn't even verified. And he's just like putting up pictures of water. And we're like, is this Ta-Nehisi Coates? What is, what is this? And then I harass NetGalley and get a copy of The Water Dancer like three months before it comes out. So I put up my review and I'm just like, I have to just do it. So like, I'm saying nigga and I'm da 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 And then I was like, and then my husband was like, are you going to tag Tanahasi? And I was like, I have to. So he'll either love it or he'll block me. Like those are the, those are the options. And shoot the shot. <laughs> right, you just shoot the shot. So I just turned on my notifications for him. And every time I saw he was on, I would tag him and it took like a while, but finally he saw it and he was like, I have tears in my eyes. I am laughing so hard. This is ridiculous. <laughs> and then yeah. after that, it was just like it just kind of grew. And then he shared me on his page. And then Ava DuVernay followed me. And it was just like little stuff like that that you just do to just like um it just validates what you're doing. And then somehow Bellatrice found me and shout out to them forever because 
Kara Price just opened, like holds doors open for people. I've just heard that's like one of her gifts. So she just like got me in front of Penguin Random House and was like, she has this idea. She's great. Do it. And it just kind of grew from there. But it was really little stuff. I took a lot of the little technical stuff. I took a lot of booktube culture and brought it to Instagram, which was, it's just a little tweak that makes a difference. Yeah. And then like a lot of people on on Bookstagram would never show their faces. So I just showed my face. Like people just want to see the person. And it's just little stuff like that, that was making the difference at the time. I don't know if it would work now, but it was working three years ago. Mm. So what are some of the other book tube things that you brought over? So showing your face is is one. And I would just like, I put my long form book reviews when I was doing like weekly long form book reviews. I, they only lived on Instagram. I didn't, so I wasn't competing with the booktube crowd with like these 15 minute book reviews. I was only engaging with my Instagram audience. So that was another thing. And then like the importance of a thumbnail um, that um, YouTube understands. Um, I just always made sure that those were engaging and um a lot of music like I I always like just because that's how I remember like that's how I navigate life is like musically so I try to do that a lot and genuine excitement like when people I think a lot of times when people are talking about books they're trying to sound like an intellectual mastermind like get their Cornell West on and I'm that's not I don't me talking to you like that is not going to make you want to read the book and that's not who I am like at all. So when I'm really excited about something, this is where I, I slip this way. I don't slip into like a buttoned up. And so that's what, that's what I was trying to do. Wow. No, I mean, not even try. You did it. <laughs> I did it. I'm still, you, you know, I, I still feel like I'm fighting. Like I, I want so many things and I have to remember that everything that I have now is also what I wanted, but I, I want more. <laughs> you will. Right. And so, yeah. so for people, for people who don't know, could you tell some of the story of like always black and how that, you know, ties in with your just bookstagram influencer presence too? Yeah. So um, it started because I did a readathon last year. Um, it was the first Black Like We Never Left readathon, and I knew if I ever got to do the readathon that the first author was going to be Toni Morrison, and um, Penguin Random House just owns all of her books, so that's why we pitched the whole thing to them, and they were supportive and kind of confused, like, um, this sounds cool, I don't know how it will work, but we're down, and they were super helpful, and the engagement last year just was like through the roof, I guess. Like we raised like over $10,000 for the Center for Fiction. And it was it was like, we were just trying to raise like money for their Emerging Writers Fellowship. And so we covered one of the writers whole fellowship. And um, people are DMing me like, what the fuck beloved? I was like, I know, I can't believe that more people didn't know about this. So it was, it was all super gratifying and um, after that was over, a few months later, they called me again, Carly, I think she was the creative director at the time, I think she has a different job now, but she was like, we really want to do something akin to Netflix's Strong Black Lead, and um, we just want you to lead the helm, like, we don't know how you do what you do, but, like, we want you there, and um, I can say, like, the CMO of Penguin Random House is a Black woman, and that's, Everything that has happened to me mostly 
give or take like Bellatrix has been because like a black woman has bet on me. So like, it's like, um, Sanyu was like, go find Cree. I took over Sean Mendez's Instagram a few years ago. And it was a black woman who was like, oh, Cree would be great. The, my installation. Wait, Sean Mendez, Sean Mendez? Yeah. 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 What? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like I saw people take over his Instagram and like talk about books. And that was a black woman. And um, my installation at the art museum was because of a black woman. And so that's all that it's been. It's just been black women betting on me. And I just have to make sure that I hold the doors open for other people too. But um, always black has been it's just an adventure. Like we don't know. And we just keep trying stuff. And you just, you know, you throw spaghetti at the walls when stuff sticks, it sticks. When it doesn't, it doesn't. And knowing that like really high highs and also just things kind of flapping are both part of the creative process. And you just have to be okay with that. Yeah. So inspiring. So, so inspiring. Tell us a little bit more about how how your life has changed since uh, becoming a parent. Um, you know, we really just get glimpses of it, you know, from IG, but it's you know a really private journey, obviously. But um, yeah. however much you want to you want to share, how has that been? Well, at this point, because Ethan's twelve, I don't remember not being a parent. Like I. I had Ethan when I was 20, so I have been a mom my whole adult life, and I think at the beginning, there's a, because you know, y'all are young, so you know at that age, anybody having a baby is an anomaly, and um, I'm constantly like um, trying to get somebody to watch him so I can have hot girl summers, and, but like trying to make sure that he's balanced and like balancing like the shame of being a young mom and also like the pride of having like this beautiful thing that you birthed and are in charge of so and like the dysfunction of me and his dad's relationship like we look at each other now and are like we were crazy like what why did we talk to each other like that what were we like it was all so that has been it's been wild and most people I know well, I don't even know if it would be most people at this point, but traditionally speaking, they say that you like, you start a relationship with your partner. I mean, you start a family with your partner and then you build out. But I have come to realize that I started my family with Ethan and I built the rest of it around Ethan. Like I got married so that I could have a baby so Ethan could have a sibling. Like that's, so like that's who I was building my my family for. Um, and it has he's just wonderful like I he's so smart and he's so gentle and he has just slipped into this like really moody 12 year old thing like literally within the past 72 hours and I'm trying not to kill him like I can't take it I can't but other than that he's absolutely um wonderful and I I always knew even when I was like young and silly that he was going to have to be like a strong reader, like regardless of anything else, he was going to be able to read. So that was like always a non-negotiable. Um, but like, as I'm homeschooling him, one of the like non-school things that I'm really working on is like making him a palatable roommate 
because we were moved, like we were like always hitting the road when we were, when I was younger. And so processes lacked, like it was never like, take your shoes off and put them by the door. It was like, hurry up and change your shoes. We got to get to the thing. And so now it's just like, he's bad at like putting things back or like making beds and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, by the time he goes to college, if he goes to college, um, he, everyone who lives with him is going to hate him. So I have to, I have to fix that. So that's kind of what we've been leaning on. And then Nat is just a whole different experience because I have a husband. Like I didn't, I didn't, we were so young and Ethan's dad and I have a wonderful relationship now, but it was, we were both figuring it out. So he like left, like go finish his school and get his master's and stuff. And I stayed by my family to finish. And I was a single parent, like co-parenting with my parents, which is not how it's supposed to be because I always wanted to kill them. And I think they always wanted to kill me. Like that's not how it's supposed to be. So like having an attentive partner who like signed up for this um, and his patience is just unmatched. Like I still don't have the patience for a toddler and Brian just will sit and explain it again and again and again. And I'm like, I really, if you don't have to be a single parent, don't do it. Like just find somebody to co-parent with because it's easier. Like then you just get to walk away while somebody else deals with them. That's really, I shout that from the mountaintops for people. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's fire. I mean, what was, what was so important about making sure that uh, Ethan was a reader and, you know, you do show off some of his uh, book stacks every once in a while. So like, what is the, what is the homeschooling experience like specifically? You know, one thing that I learned is like, I was a phenomenal student. Like I could, because like schools are designed for like obedient girls, you know? So I, I really liked following the rules. I really liked um, having the attention of being the good student. So I was just a really good student. And so I just assumed that my offspring was also going to take up space in a classroom similarly, but Ethan is like pie in the sky, like never, never here type of kid. Like he, and he can't sit still. And they, I realized very quickly that they were like villainizing him because he couldn't sit in the damn desk. And I was like, him not being able to sit in the desk has nothing to do with his like intellectual capacity. You need to shift the way that you're approaching him and they couldn't do it. And something that I just read that has stuck with me is like education as an institution is so young. It would be like if astronomers were trying to tell us about Jupiter after they had only been studying it for a hundred years and they were completely incorrect uh, when they were a hundred years in. And so a lot of the things that we think are like law about education is not like there actually aren't any rules because nothing has actually been proven. So I always had to go in. He, I did not homeschool Ethan through elementary school. Um, he had, he had a terrible kindergarten teacher who I was just contemplating writing a nasty note to like yesterday. And then I pulled him out of that school and put him in a better a very white school but very sound school and his first grade teacher Mrs. Weber was a master like should win awards told her if she ever needed an organ I would give her an organ because she like Ethan came in there super low because of his kindergarten teacher and she jumped him like 15 reading levels in a year and so like 
he had a few masters through elementary school, like two duds, but mostly masters. And then I knew I was going to pull him because the hormones of middle school and like the the pressures i think sometimes we forget who we are because we're trying so hard to fit in and um ethan is cool just the way he is he doesn't need to fit in so that's why i pulled him and um we just got back on track his cousin was here from oregon who's also homeschooled and they were kicking it really hard for like two weeks and it just derailed everything we were doing so we have kept we've been looking at each other like for a week like we should do math and then we try and sit and do it and we just it's usually fun but as of late we have been really snippy with each other but yesterday we finally like got into a groove and um, we went to the library yesterday, we go every Friday and he picked up this book about like an African samurai. Like he's been, he's been like super, like samurais have had him in a chokehold. I don't Let's know. Let's go. <laughs> so, <laughs> so he found this book about African samurais yep. and um, really what I thought I was preparing him for when I pulled him to homeschool was to like go into like a super elite, probably white high school or institution. But what I really have learned is that his learning style is beautiful, but it's unconventional. And I just have to, I don't necessarily need to dumb down the ways that he is in order to get him to fit in this space. I need to just make sure it's all amplified and that he has all of the juice I can give him so that even when he's in the classroom, still not able to sit still, because I'm not going to be able to change that, that he will at least have the, the, the intellectual tenacity to keep up with whatever environment he decides to go into. Mm -hmm. No, I mean, the, the way I see a lot of education, especially for young Black children, is really as like, a, a dam blocking a river, meaning for a kid like Ethan, whose energy flows in his own way, like you just need to see how far that goes on its own. But before education comes in and tells it which way to steer, and that's really amazing. Just everything that you're doing, and we'll keep keep doing. Because uh, it's so important. I mean, just as you were saying with the whole astronomy metaphor, though, not only that, it's just like um, our education system now is really based on like the Protestants, you know, kind of style of just like sit, learn, lecture. It's, it's really get punished. Get, exactly. Yeah. You're you're forced to forced to learn. Right. Right. The, the yeah. thing that I am, and you two were little boys once. I don't know what kind of little boys you were, but tell me. One, Ethan thinks he knows everything. So that's exhausting. And two, he doesn't understand, like, shit just takes, like, work and time. Like, it's going to be hard. So he really, like, he'll pick up his violin and he want to play Paganini Caprice, which is, like, <laughs> and the hardest song I need you to understand like it's like you should go listen to it when you get off the podcast it's stupid like it's super hard you got it like you can't play it basically you can't play it yet because you don't have all the things that you need but he's swear and when he practices in the violin he's just zipping through it as fast as he can when he's reading he's just zipping through it as fast as he can and I just I just want him to slow down and do things for doing them sake because i never know what he's even zipping through it to get to like his phone 
So then, you know, mama brain is like, I'm taking all this shit. So I had to take the phone and take the Nintendo Switch, take everything. But that's, I don't, I don't know what to do. That's it. Yeah, see that, that to me is just kind of the difficulty of children in today's society. Because what is changing all of us is also changing them like dramatically. You know what I'm saying? Because like- Even more so. Yeah. Yeah. Even, even us, right? I have problems with my like attention span now and like even sitting down to read, like during quarantine, I really felt like I could sit down and read for a couple hours, but now honestly, like it's difficult to even yeah. sit down for like 20 minutes. So yeah, that that is just kind of a, a the spiritual plane that we're all in now is very, very frantic. But you know, at least you're in Wisconsin and not you know, a New York City. So yeah. I had thought of that. Maybe us being here does slow him down a little. I it doesn't feel like it, but maybe. No, the the students that I teach are absolutely <laughs> wild. I'm not gonna lie. They they literally cannot sit and like do an assignment or homework that we assign during class that we want them to finish in, in front of us because they can't take it home. They nice. can't sit and do that for like a minute either. It's it's pretty funny to watch. Yeah. But sorry, Jen, you were you were saying I cut you off. Oh no, I was saying that um I definitely relate to Ethan with like wanting to speed through everything. Um I don't know, at least for me, I felt like I just had so much uh so many like questions, curiosity and like there's just there's almost something fun when, you know, it's about speeding yourself, you know, who can go the fastest. I'd be like timing myself doing Legos, trying to like, okay. you know, make a whole bionicle in like six seconds or whatever. Um, so I, I definitely, I can definitely relate to, you know, the uh, obsession with speed. Right. But I think, you know, we, we were actually homeschooled too for a few years and I, I definitely look at it as the best like most important educational experience I had. Um, and, you know, maybe I wasn't so aware of it while it was happening, but now looking back on it, I definitely see how I learned like slowness and the importance of just like taking my time through like some of those projects that we'd be doing. Cause we were really like on our own schedule with our mom. Um, yeah. And it was like engaging, but also, uh, you know, had had a good like range of things that we were doing in a given day so um what made your mom homeschool you all we were we were in uh we were in chicago in hyde park and she didn't want because we were like we were like kindergarten age um and she didn't want to put us in cps because you know she was like really worried about uh super high expulsion rates for kindergarten and pre-k for black boys so she just homeschooled us instead and chicago's like the one of the best places that you can homeschool because all the museums um so we do like chemistry experiments making brownies and you know uh volcanoes and go to museums and watch between the lions and stuff it was it was it was amazing oh my god yes between the lions i know I have a lot of questions for you all. I know that you're supposed to be interviewing me. No, like, no. I want to know you all's minds. 
Um, <laughs> I know that Miles is teaching, so I assume that you went to school for education. Um, no. Okay, well, tell me everything. I mean, <laughs> what did y'all go to school for? What are your signs? What are the aspirations? Yeah, yeah. What do you want to be doing? Uh, so I was born July 9th. 1998 man this might be a first on the podcast. you're a gemini like, no no he's, he's not joking. you're a cancer okay mm-hmm. so is my husband oh wait i just found out that um america itself because it's birth birthday is july 4th is a cancer son too yeah it's kind of kind of deep um i like that but, yeah i i studied philosophy in uh, college, but I've always just had a passion for education. I mean, very similar to what you've been saying too, um, in terms of our edu- educational paths, we, we grew up in pretty uh, white white schools, PWIs. We went to a really elite uh, private boarding school in, Mass- in Massachusetts called Deerfield. And, you know, just, no, definitely loved, um, all of that experience, but I, I think even even now we're still unpacking uh, all the baggage that that came with with that too. Just in terms of our own self self worth and and how it's trained to and how it's trained our minds to look at things in a very cause and effect way and in a very like validation seeking way. All of all of that, but yeah, I I mean. I'm just a very inquisitive person, not actually curious. I think just as you are with with your your sons, our our parents, our mom and dad really try to instill like a love of of reading in us. So that's that's really been dope, especially now when it's like our main thing that we really want to do. And and uh, aspiration wise, right, like. And man, this is something similar to you too. We had our blog, Real Ballers Read, you know, a couple of years ago, we were writing book reviews that no one else was reading. Yeah. We're like, we are the only ones that read this blog, bro. Like, <laughs> let's like put it on IG so someone can follow us. So at the start of 2021, we made our IG page and we've just been learning and, and growing since, started our podcast around the same time last year. And what and what we've we've kind of learned through this all is like you really just have to like take action and start things and like kind of get out of that idea theory space and like you always are building planning and creating ideas as as you're going we literally do it every single day but we're really just in like a why not phase like you know so yeah who's the dream guest dream guest aside mm-hmm. aside from you don't say aside from you yeah <laughs> <laughs> um, no. you know man i've i've seen on your ig ig page too you're a big uh, zadie zadie smith fan zadie smith would be my dream guest she never responds yeah i know she's very um i would say aware of her just like energy and like knows that she wants her writing space more than anything. And, you know, yeah. she's broken novelist and writer for it. So 
Yeah, just gotta can't, respect can't, that. Can't blame yeah. her. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I know we can't be bad. I know. Look at the material. She's, she's, <laughs> uh, she's coming out with a kids book though, with her husband at the start of the summer. So you uh, should hit her up to see to see if she's she not wants gonna to respond. No, no. I'll, I'm gonna hit her up, but it's literally <laughs> I hit up Zadie Smith four times a year, or I hit up her, her people four times yeah. a year. They're like Zadie's not interested every time. Damn. <laughs> Janice, your turn. What yeah. are when are you oh. born? Oh, what are you yeah. Uh, uh, December seventeenth, Sagittarius. Sagittarius. I hate Sagittarius women, but oh. all of my best guy friends are Sagittariuses. Wow. Right. What, what is that distinction? I, I don't. Even I don't know. I have oh, okay. no. But whenever I'm sitting with a woman, and um, they've all been like cis women, I guess. Um, whenever and they do something, and I'm like, mm, when's your birthday? It's always a Sagittarius. Always, every single time it's a Sagittarius. I don't even know. But shout out to the homie Corey. We've been best friends for like six years. He's also my Sagittarius. Um, but yeah, okay, wonderful. Yeah, Keep I going. like being a Sagittarius. Um, but no, uh, uh, where to start? I mean, you know, Miles was telling some of our backstory just to like pick up really at the importance of our parents' like bookcases and just like just getting to you know, feel all of the wonder of like looking at the covers and like flipping through stuff and asking them about it. So yeah, it's definitely everything about us is for sure attributed to them. Um, our mom was the one that told us, you know, real ballers read all the time. Um, and, you know, even though, even though it was more of like a family joke, um, the more that we started reading on our own, getting into college, uh, we just really started to see the importance of like reading our own books for ourselves and um, started to like take on like all that our mom had been telling us forever, you know? Um, But no, so I was a international affairs major in college, graduated two years ago. And I just, I just stayed on working for Georgetown. So now I help design their uh, like an environmental degree for the undergrad program. Um, Cool. Yeah. So are you both like, Scale of one to ten, how happy are you? Oh, nine. It's a deep, deep question. That's yeah. wonderful. Yeah. Oh, deep question for you, Miles. What, what's it up for you? I mean, my happiness is usually always at a ten. I'm I'm a pretty fulfilled and feel great, grateful person. I feel like what brings it down at times are just overthinking uh about you know our world and how it can help but like given that you know families healthy everyone's thriving like i'm i'm doing well honestly and especially yeah like since since 2020 since the quarantine i I think that was just such a long time to do nothing but reflect and since then i've just been in this kind of interesting space where very, very calm. Just gotten out of bad breakups and everything. So just feel, feel yeah, like full on, full on metamorphosis, you know. <laughs> Our dude is a butterfly. Period. Exactly. How happy are you <laughs> on a scale from one to ten? Oh, I'm re- I also am really happy. I try to go day by day. Um, mm. but yeah, like right now it's like a nine ten. And I do think mm. throughout my life I've just kind of skewed towards joy. Mm. um and realizing that like 
that's not everyone's skew. I've learned that as I've read, you know, like reading heavy and like my husband has seasonal depression. And so that's just like knowing that it's, you also just kind of have to be grateful that you can easily access joy because everybody doesn't have that ability. Um, and so then I also feel like if you are a relatively happy person, then it's also your responsibility to just spray it on everything. Like, it's, like if you're genuinely happy, just like go be happy on everything all the time, right? <laughs> so that's kind of just what I what exactly. I try to do. Um, exactly. But I feel that. I really, I want to keep, I know, but like, what are your favorite books then? What, like, give me your top, if you can have top two, what are the top two? And if you need to do like five, I understand. Jen, go, go ahead and take this one first. Uh, nah, you got it, bro. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, you know, I'm trying to think of a non-cliche. What? There is no such thing. Because yeah, don't yeah. nobody be reading. So even though it's like cliche <laughs> to us, it's not cliche to anybody else. No, right. Well, the, the answer that I've said most of the time is uh, the autobiography of Malcolm X. And I haven't read that. Really? I you know. love it. You would love it. Isn't yeah. that ridiculous? No, no, it's not. No, it's really not. I, I know I need to read no, it. I, I just feel like so many people have their own personal personal story of when they first read that book and mm-hmm. I do too. And, you know, just reading it as a young teenager, I think especially made me think differently about religion. I think that's why I'm most great, great, grateful for it. Because in, in that book, he has this whole um, view of Christianity as a slave religion, you know, given to us by yeah. slave masters. And I think just that, kernel of an idea on its own um really just opened me up to thinking differently about faith and how I practiced it so I thought that was a really beautiful beautiful gift from 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 that book a second book let's let's make it fiction I haven't thought about favorite books so long. Jam, go, no, no, say, say. Right, yeah. Uh, yeah. My go-to favorite right now, uh, and since for the last year and a few months since I read it, is definitely The Color Purple. Um, and then I also, we just we just read Your Blues Ain't Like Mine, which I also loved. Um, and that was one of our, that's one of our mom's favorites too. So, you know, after years of, hearing her talk about it and recommend it. And then uh, Hanif Adurakib comes onto the show and like wants to talk about that book. So we finally read it and we're like, yeah, this book is incredible. Um, so those two, those two for sure are uh, up there. Um, recently read Beloved as well. That blew my mind. And then there's also a book called Braiding Sweetgrass, which is uh, like just a, a completely incredible book um and those are all recent reads actually I feel like I'm starting to like as I continue to read I just find better books um because of course like there are even more that we've read recently that uh you know I haven't mentioned yet but we're also fire right like Little Devil in America um you know uh Asada yeah just too many too many good books recently I know oh my god Hanif 
isn't it so wild that we're just on the planet with them? I don't yeah. understand <laughs> how that even works. <laughs> when I first started reading, I was always like, I was under this like super naive notion that like the Black Canon was written. Um, Tony wrote it and James Baldwin and Langston Hughes. And then the best living writers are Zadie Smith and Ta-Nehisi Coates. And so like, like that was like what I would do. And then as I like kept reading, I was like, oh my God, the canon's being written right now. <laughs> Literally writing oh, it right now. And they're alive and they're young. Like we have so many more years of work from them. I can't wait. Do you see yourself wanting to write at all? Yeah, but mostly just like, I think that's a natural progression of like reading 3 million books a year. Like eventually it's just yeah. like, because we, you all just talked about like, like seminal pieces of literature, but then there's also just a lot of terrible shit out sure. that like, sometimes I have to read because I, I'm working and I'm like, if this could get published, certainly I can write a book. Like, so um, my, per like my personal um hopes are I really want to get good at the essay and I really want to get good at a short story um I don't have mm. any aspirations to write like a full novel but those two are my my hopes and I am actually literally writing a musical with my husband so I want what? that to be good. so sick yeah um we just acquired a nonprofit, mm -hmm. and like we're using it to like fund the pilot and like, it's like, I want like a good pilot. So we have to raise like a lot of money mm -hmm. and then um, I hope it gets picked up. It's about books, of course. So it's just, um, that's what, that's what we're doing. That's so yeah, that's so fun. That was just so out of like, that's like, that's like my passion project right now that I like work out. Well, right now it's like in the planning phase. So I'm reading mm -hmm. something wonderful and it's about Roger and Hammerstein. Um, and then Oddly enough, I'm also going to read some like classic horror because of, like mm. um, some of the stuff that Jordan Peele um, pulled on from Get Out just because under like themes are really important to me and them not being like beating you over the head with it. You know, like if I'm going to write something, I want it to be massive. Yeah, I saw I saw you you made that IG post recent, recently about um, how horror is like the best genre to encapsulate um what it's like to to, to be black black now i thought that was really interesting and i felt i feel though that there's kind of a line to be drawn you ever see the tv show them see right. that to me is the line yeah, them, them, the was line. Like, them was way too scary and i was like this is like messed up uh, i i low-key felt like traumatized i couldn't even finish that show. Person, hey, i haven't seen it it's, no. ter it's terrible, no. and no. I didn't have to see it because everybody said it was, like, terribly horrific. But it's, like, the playing on racial horror versus, like, the commentary of racial horror. Mm. And, like, it's just, it's a really thin line. Mm -hmm. And I feel like people saw what Get Out did and was like, oh, yeah, right, because slavery was horror, so let's make it. And if you're still, like, kind of um bowing to the white gaze you're still just going to end up traumatizing the black audience when you should be kind of trying to liberate them so mm -hmm. i think that's where them definitely missed the mark for exactly. sure exactly what are some of your musical influences though for 
the writing of your musical now or just your music your music taste in general yeah i love musicals and i always like i love music but i don't think that that's a big deal because i think most people love music Mm -hmm. um i have a like what you said about um your um realization of religion i think um one thing that i've realized is like all of the like revivals and like spiritual experiences that they expect you to that they were expecting me to have in church i actually have through like excellent artistic moments so um and music is just a really accessible thing for that for me so it's literally like i love classical musicals i love guys and dolls i love west side story I love Southside Pacific. I love Oklahoma. I love them. Like Roger and Hammerstein's where the goat, like full stop Cinderella. It was brilliant. Um, But then I also think about like the golden record floating up in space. And I'm just like, why did they not put California love on there? Like that, like that, like what? So I don't know. It's, (laughs) I really, really, um, cause I musicals like straight up and I, I don't know even know how else to say this, but literally like musicals and like early 2000s trap music is what created me as a human. Like, that's just who I am. That's what I am. And um, I've been trying to unpack what that means because I I know all of the like misogyny and et cetera, et cetera. But like, even as like a 12 year old, when I was like rapping, I was the rapper. Like when I was rapping Rubber Band Man, I was the Rubber Band Man. I wasn't like, I wasn't the girl that he was talking to. So I just, I don't know. I don't know how I always like knew that in my head, but um, I'm working through that right now in a piece that I'm working on. Like it, it's called Trap in the Erotic. And I'm, cause I'm talking about like Audrey Lord's erotic and how it like, Cree. what? Cree. Cree, we got to unpack this, Cree. Uh, <laughs> like this is serious talk in general or, will say so in in the last week uh because of prince's um anniversary of his passing I, I i've been thinking a lot about prince writing a thing on um a song of his and jan and i just like came off of like a two-hour call where we were talking about the audrey lord essay too the uses of the erotic it's crazy and you just like trying you know what i have trouble with is like I know how it makes me feel like, and so I get it. I get the essay like on a spiritual level in my heart, but like using language to under, like to explain to people what it did. Cause like when I'm trying to explain it to my mom who has, has not read the essay, um, she hears erotic and automatically goes to, you know, and I'm like, no, 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 no. It's like, it's like what I feel when I hear a perfect run. Like, that's what I'm talking, like that. And she, she can't, uh, uh. so I've been really working through like um, what that all means. Cause I, the, um, this is so silly, but like a verse that changed my life was David Banner's verse on Like a Pimp. I was like 11 and it was like my first time hearing it. And like, he comes out the gate and he's like so angry and it's so irreverent. And energy is what I like want to be able to grasp when I am moving through life. And I really feel like that was an erotic experience in the sense that 
um, Audrey Lord is talking about, and I've just had, I've had trouble putting that into language. Yeah, I mean, what what we were kind of starting to unpack is this um, really important relevant relevancy and conflation of like the erotic spirit with the creative spirit, yes. and how like our divine pur purpose as human as human beings being to create life is you know intertwined obviously with the erotic spirit because it involves you know co-mingling right so i like that though the creative because yeah because it's all I've, creation I've, so even I've, like non-sexual creation is erotic exactly. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I love that. No, have, so have, have you um, heard of Lewis, Lewis Hyde, the author? No. So he has this book called the, uh, the, the Gift, and the subtitle is The Erotic Life of Property. Yeah. Yes. Well, um, yeah, one, one version of it has that subtitle. There's like oh, the right, word. right. So, okay. yeah, that, that's a really read interesting read. Mm -hmm. I'm going to read it. Because yeah. <laughs> I, I don't have language yet. Right. But I know that it's some, it is something that like greatly informs mm -hmm. the way that I move. And like when you get an idea and you just know that it has the sauce and then you just can't stop. Like you just <laughs> know, like you're, you're doing it. You're do, you can't stop. Right. Um, and, I, and I also think everyone is creative. But I just think like exactly. a lot of people, it was like just like systematically like suppressed. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's the dam. It's the it's the dam. Yeah. And then they're yeah. so dammed up that they can't access it at all. And um, so then they have no idea what we're talking about when we're talking about this stuff. But it's yeah. I, I feel uh yeah. you know, the creativity is also tied in with the emotions the emotionality of it um yeah and and even even more so just with how gender roles are conscrewed like everyone's creativity is dampened and then I feel like I had to learn and then unlearn damming up like my emotional flows as well um yeah. and you know I think that's what's so interesting about the uh I mean we we were talking about this the other day when we were talking about Audre Lord, but one of my favorite lines from her is I feel therefore I can be free and you know really centering the importance of feeling for like what you're doing uh was just it, it always comes through in her writing and what's so weird is that for the uses of the erotic it feels true um but then every time that I like think back about like what is she really saying like I don't even know like Right. You know what I'm saying? Like coming coming back to like some some my own way of like explaining it, understanding it in my own life. I'm still processing it. So that's why we're just like, yeah, we just need to yeah. keep rereading it and like thinking about exactly. it. Like, like so you can talk. And you the yeah. other one who does that to me is Toni Morrison. Like yeah. I read it and I was like, facts, all facts. And then I'm just like, why is it good? I don't know. It's good. It's perfect. I don't yeah. know why. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that was perfect. I'm so glad this is recorded. <laughs> no, I, I mean part of part of what's interesting about what uh, Lewis Hyde talks about in the in the gift is that when when like when like you're creating art, like artists kind of have to get in this flow of both consciousness 
and unconsciousness in order to truly tap in to their full like capacities as like a human. And when you think about it, like as we're receiving an artist's art, we also need to be tapping into those same conscious and unconscious levels. Yeah. Like meaning like what, what, whatever we try to consciously interpret as true or rational is not the entire iceberg. Like the other 90% is just the feeling and the aura and the, and the precision of the language that, that can't be explained. And so really like, and right, I don't know how it's possible to really explore that with words, but your feeling of unexplained, being able to, not being able to explain this feeling is the heart of it. And probably where you need to like dive in most. Um, I just don't, I don't, I don't know how to do that. <laughs> I know. I think You're it's like, like those are those. the lifetime <laughs> students, right? Like you just yeah. work on it and then hopefully mm-hmm. I live until I'm old and will have chipped mm-hmm. away a little bit. Mm-hmm. Have you read the, um, the Gia Tolentino essay on like trap music and drugs from Trey Mayer? I, I thought, I thought that was a pretty solid essay. I haven't um, read it. The only, I read the trap essay in black futures i forgot who wrote that oh. that was the one that i wrote i i will read that one because none of them have gotten close to like what i feel because mm-hmm. even when you like say trap music sometimes to like outside it almost feels comical like haha trap yeah. music and i was like no this was like this has been a spiritual experience mm-hmm. ti raised me and this is what I learned from him. And I don't, I don't know how, like, um, I don't know how to give it. The South has something to say. And I, you know, I'm from Wisconsin, but like, I'm from Mississippi. Like, that's where my whole people are from. Wow. And I don't, I don't know, you guys. It just sits, it sits on me. Have you read Sula? And you know, like about the ball in the yeah. corner. It's, that's my ball in the corner. Like trying to figure out what what this what what it's called. One day. <laughs> one day yes. <sighs> prince though we don't need to go off on that tangent because i didn't even mention him and one thing y'all that literally like my blood pressure goes up mm-hmm. is like when people are like i just i don't like prince and i was like you don't you don't get to not like prince you either oh, understood yeah. him or you didn't so who, who just say that, you no. don't understand it and then move on. But you don't not you're not smart enough to not like it. No, no, None yeah, of us definitely are. Definitely not. Definitely not. What is what is your favorite Prince um, album or song? I have been putting together a death playlist, which I know is weird. Um, yeah. I'm not like I'm not like suicidal mm-hmm. or any idea yeah, yeah. type of thing. It's just like I'm going to die cuz right. it's honestly cuz like my grandparents I just see that they're aging and I'm like god damn I'm going to have to bury this per- these perfect people. Mm-hmm. Um and then I'm like god damn I'm going to have to bury myself, but I'm not like my kids are going to bury me, but I'm going to die. Right. Um and I like I swear like within the last hour of my life, god mm-hmm. willing that I'm able to have this much control over the situation, it's take me with you by Prince is wow. oh my god I love Perfect that song, song so much and that's the one love that I need playing yeah no that it that is such a great 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 song I I, I literally promised my, my myself as a as a as a child that the first girlfriend that I got 
that would be like the first song that I played when I took it on like a drive. Yeah, what? I, <laughs> yes, I, I did that. And that's exactly what happened, bro. Yes. That's crazy, yo. <laughs> Manifestation. That's it. That's it. This is the best one I've ever heard. Oh my God. Yeah. yeah. Oh. It's, perfect song, it's perfect. Yeah. It's just the whole build up and the start. Yeah. I mean, but that, I mean, I love Adore. I love, um, mm-hmm. I love Raspberry Beret. Mm-hmm. I love the one that Alicia Keys covered. Oh. Yeah, what what was that? How how come you don't call me anymore? Oh right. Um, and I just love Prince. Like I just love that he was on the planet. My mom is a huge Prince fan, and yeah. so that was me and both my siblings' first concerts. What? My first concert was Prince. I was nine. Wow, that's a wow. crazy story. That's crazy. So, it's so great. Wow. Man, we, we really could probably talk talk forever. And Entries, I have yeah. to come back. We have to talk about yeah, actually, though. Um, the use of the erotic in like two yes, years. No, seriously. <laughs> so you all have to read it like 20 more. Right, just read it every yeah. twice a month for like a year and then maybe we will get somewhere. <laughs> yeah, I was not expecting that at all for that to come up. I love it. Yeah. That's serendipitous. That's life. That's how it's supposed to be. Yeah, seriously. Yeah, as a as a kind of wrapping up question though, like um just what are you looking looking forward to in general? What goals, what questions do you want answered? You you were saying earlier that you want more. What what is it that you want? On a societal level, I want more courage. So like that's mm-hmm. what I'm always just hoping everyone just grows a bigger pair. Like that's what I always want. Right. And um uh, like more courage to say the thing, the more courage to sit in the discomfort, more courage to pursue the information. I want everyone to do that, me included. And um, personally, oh, I, I mean, like my non-human baby right now is the musical and I, I really want it I'm just like walking through the dark as far as screenwriting goes. Like I have no idea what I'm doing. Um, my husband is, uh, he like has his degree in jazz piano though. So I'm just like, well, even if the writing's not great, um, my videographer is bomb and my husband is a great um, songwriter. So it'll be good. It just might. Um, so I really, I hope that is like, so that's my personal, um, that's what I want more of from myself and um, more sun. Oh, that's the other thing that I need more of vitamin D. <laughs> summer time's coming, coming soon, man. I'm so excited. Yeah. yeah summer, hot girl summer for everybody. Freedom summer. How about that? We're all going to Mississippi. Have a voting drive. <laughs> you're gonna give some photos. A voting drive, Miles. You're killing my high. <laughs> Get out of here. No. Let's organize. Girl, summer. Oh, we could we could do a wait in at the beach. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That was the first the first one. One of the first civil rights protests. Free the beach. Okay, I'm down for a wait in. Um, I'm not, I don't feel like, I just have an attitude with politics right now. So voting drive just makes me angry, but I don't feel like that all the time. But right now I have a huge attitude. 
Oh no, same. I I've 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 gotten as close to giving up as you can. Um, yeah. yeah, I I, I did give up. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm over, like I'm over it. I don't. So yeah, I and I feel bad for being over it, but I'm just like this is a game when y'all are ready to have a real conversation. We'll be here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Jen, do you have any last questions though? Oh, uh, yeah. If you were gonna be an animal in glory, uh, what animal would you be and why? Blue whales don't count, unfortunately. I know. Because that that just yeah, they don't. Because I was instantly about story. to be like yeah. a moose, but I can't yeah. be a moose. Um, damn it. <laughs> And the horse. No, 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 no. She, she definitely can be any other animal. But how would you write your your character into? Right. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. Right. Because like, how do you write the blue whale into this? (laughs) I mean, I probably. mm, I love. I love horses, and Mm. so like, I would say horse. But I um, don't like where the what the horses were doing. So like, would I be a horse and infiltrate? And then try like try like be one of those, or would I be use like your, I, use your privilege? Use my privilege, yeah. Yeah. ew. But then am I white? You know, <laughs> no. no. I would rather think <laughs> I want to be a dog. Old horse wasn't white. <laughs> I know old horse wasn't right. He was just the like furry. Yeah, I think I'd be a dog. underwear. I'd be I'd be a dog with a tattered underwear, either no a rat sense. or a pit, and um, I would help. I would really work hard to um. Over, like get the defenders to be on the people's side because I know that's like that's that's required for most revolutions as I've read like even like the Russian revolution in the 1920s like the the soldiers had to turn on the czar in order for stuff to happen so like I'd be just be like yeah you know we should really and then like I would just keep doing that until it happened <laughs> that's my plan <laughs> <laughs> that's hilarious yo yeah but no, Kareem, been, thank you so much. You have been the best guest. This is way. Y'all are great. I can't. I Thanks. cannot wait for you to be nominated for whatever podcast award podcasters get. And this is. I want to interview you. I need something to bring you on to so that I can. Ask <laughs> thank you for listening to another episode of the Real Bars Read podcast. You can check out Cree at Cree Miles on Instagram and at Always Black. Be sure to share this podcast and give us a review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Thank you for listening again, and we'll catch you next time.